Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Capturing the clinical condition dates back throughout history. You might think that the medical note and clinical record is a recent invention, but historians find plenty of evidence demonstrating their use at least as far back as Mesopotamia. For those that struggle with the current digital versions and the time required to create these notes, bear in mind that back then they were written on clay tablets in cuneiform script. In fact, medical detectives continue to mine this information in our attempts to understand the history and how diseases impacted our world over time. Many people are familiar with the theory that Henry VIII, King of England, suffered from syphilis, but more recent analysis suggests that he probably did not, and he may have suffered from diabetes and or Cushing's syndrome that might have been responsible for his ultimate death. As medicine advanced, so did our notes sometimes at a different pace, but always with the intent of capturing information for the transmission to others in the pursuit of caring for patients. Management of this information fell to those delivering the care, even being called your doctor's note or doctor's record. But the data was always about the patient, and until relatively recently, access did not extend to the actual subject of the data. We trusted others with the ownership and management of this data and expected it to be used for our benefit, which it was for the most part. But as this has grown, so too has the potential use and the intrinsic value of the individual data items. The medical institutions and businesses use the data for their purposes, as they should since their lens is coloured by the strategy and business directives that drive every organisation. But those drivers are not always aligned with the individual drivers, setting up for a potential conflict between the different groups. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Hamish MacDonald, the CEO and founder of the Sovereignty Network. Hamish is a lifelong entrepreneur who's committed to making the health and welfare of patients around the world easier. Hi Hamish, welcome to the show. Uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we're talking 360 degrees of data and our opportunity as an individual in this world and specifically as a healthcare uh, wellness patient, the ability to see and control and manage all of that data under my control. Is that really possible? It is possible. In fact, we've done it. 
uh, and now we're uh, attempting to prove that the, the data sets we can build on behalf of our members are indeed the most valuable and accurate set of data available about them. But you can't listen to that description without thinking back to the historical context of um, patients owning data, you know, and I'm a perfect case in point. I've lived all over the world. I started collecting my medical record on paper um, in uh, the very early days of my life, even when, you know, most of the information was probably not terribly interesting. It was all sort of within the distributions of averages. But I did it because I would move from one country to the next and people would go, well, do you have X or Y? And in, uh, you know, uh, uh, historical terms, some of this was just vaccinations. Were you vaccinated? Well, I go, well, I, uh, I, I, I need that record. But what we've seen is that's really difficult to do. It's been difficult for me in paper form, and I tried digitizing, but I've struggled. Why do you think it's different now? I, I mirror a lot of what you've done over the years. I, I attempted starting this dream, if you like, 19 years ago when it was technically impossible. You, you didn't have cloud computing. You didn't have devices in people's pockets that were powerful enough to hold the data. Everything was held in institutions on client server. You couldn't access that. And until 2011 came along and, and fire, fast healthcare interoperability resources, uh, there, was no, there, was no, there was no wrapper, if you like, to enable data silos within healthcare, all built in different code and using different symbols for different meanings and procedures and meds, et cetera, to enable them to talk to each other. But there, there are these systems now, not just fire, which has now become almost a de facto standard. In fact, to your point, in the United States now, as part of the patient API rule within the 21st Century's Accures Act, uh, it's now a rule that any provider, which is nearly all of them, that takes CMS funding, Center for Medicare and Medicaid funding, needs to have FHIR-denominated uh, data in their data sets, and they have to make that available to the app of the patient's choice. So there is now direct mechanisms, at least in the United States and increasingly around the world, using standards such as, as FHIR, and we can talk about other standards later, whereby the data becomes interoperable. Now, as soon as it's interoperable, it can also be held in the smartphone we just talked about before in someone's pocket. It doesn't have to be held client server somewhere off in an institution anymore. So uh, let, let's focus just for a second on interoperable because I'll, I'll pick another personal example. You could go to one of uh, several lab providers in this country um, and get your results and feed them in. And let's suppose they have that technology, but they have different reference intervals. They have different, even sometimes not just the intervals because it's, you know, based on the laboratory equipment, but sometimes they put them in different units. They certainly do that across different countries. Are, you are we able to reconcile that? Is it really interoperable? First of all, you have to capture it before you can even begin to tackle it because the data exists. If you have these data gaps uh, from, from Quest versus LabCorp, those, those differences exist right now for you, having had different tests at different times. The fact the industry doesn't recognize it and is blind to those uh, differences doesn't make the problem go away. First of all, we have to surface those problems and then reconciliation can take place, whether by AI, whether by algorithms, uh, but first of all, you have to surface the data. So I'd argue very strongly there's a strong case to be able to capture the data in the first place so that reconciliation can take place. 
So it's clearly not a technical problem, given the timeline that you defined. You, you talked about the creation of fire and how long ago that was. We, we've seen it. Is this is the genesis and the opportunity partly a regulatory issue? How much is that contributing to sort of opening the door to me and you in this case, and hopefully many, many others starting to gather that full 360 degree view in digital form? Uh, uh, It's a huge part regulatory. I'm reminded actually of, of a joke that it's not a joke, it's a truism by an old chairman of uh, the board of one of my uh, uh, companies years ago. He said to me, uh, you know, there are three ways to motivate people, Hamish. Uh, one is by greed. Greed is good. Making money, fine. A stronger way to appeal to people and get them to do things is fair. People act even strong, more strongly when they have fear. But he said the best way, Hamish, the best way to get people to do things is government regulation. And yes, it's a half joke, but it's also true. And the fact is the United States has come from behind the field uh, in terms of interoperability and with FIRE now being uh, mandated as a rule, if you wish to keep receiving CMS funding, that is a very strong incentive that nearly all providers now are indeed falling in line and providing it. And as per the regulations, that data also has to be made available to the individual and sent on to the application of their choice. So yes, regulation in the United States has moved the United States from being behind the rest of the field to in many ways now leading the field. Regulatory has been a huge part of that. So there's clearly a confluence of things that have come together. They've created an opportunity. But again, there's a little bit of history here that sort of uh, is tapping me on the shoulder. And, you know, I, I can recall telling the story of me capturing all of this data, carrying around my clinical information, all of this data. And individuals going, but why would I do that? What is the benefit? You know, other people, isn't this better managed or uh, controlled or even run by other organizations and uh, individuals? That would be the case if the system, as it were, had your best interest as a patient at heart, but the business model's don't address that, right? I'm a patient, you're a patient, and nobody other than maybe our loved ones around us have more motivation to pull together the most accurate, coherent, complete uh, view of our data than ourselves. Because a, a healthcare institution, a, a clinician, etc., does not get paid for you to have the most complete and accurate and, 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 and um, most uh, in-depth Uh, record about you, they get paid to do a procedure uh, to give you a prescription to make sure the current thing you're presenting for is taken care of. But there may be a myriad of other things that are both affecting your body right now and will do so in the future if you don't change course, if you don't take care of that. And if you don't have that 360 degree view of data that you alluded to at the beginning, then you're missing out. And you're particularly missing out in an age where data is now the most valuable asset on the planet. So you say, why should I care? I would argue it's for two reasons. One is for the healthcare reasons of simply having the, the, the full record of your data, not just the clinicals, but also the full demographics, the psychosocial data, the lifestyle data, the, the environmental data, and down to your genomic data. And we call that DC plaque. 
And, and those six pieces of data interact to create you. That's who you are. You're more than the sum of your clinical records sitting in some uh, electronic health record somewhere. You're a living, breathing human being on a trajectory of health or not. Uh, but secondly, uh, it's an asset. Data is now an asset, and we believe that healthcare data being inherently valuable should be a personal asset owned by everyone by helping them create a copy of the data from the various different interoperable uh, resources available now so that quickly through entering data only you or your family know about yourself in terms of psychosocial environment, lifestyle, et cetera, combine that with the interoperable clinical data that's now available, suddenly you have the most valuable both from a health sense and a financial sense set of data available about you available anywhere. So it's interesting. You're bringing up a, a you know a, a larger uh, portfolio of information that contributes to this. It's not just the lab results as we talked about. It's not just clinical. You know, we've expanded obviously genomics. We've got proteomics. There's you know all of this coming together. It, it sounds to me as if the the significant value proposition is that the individual is the nexus of this. And this feels like the foundation of truly personalized care and potentially the value proposition for that individual to then maybe donate their data. I think we've seen that in other cases. But there's a challenge with this. I mean, this feels like a very difficult technical problem as well as a, an administrative. Is this something that individuals can take on? It is when you think of the care continuum and the fact that you can reverse the care continuum for each patient as an N of one to send parts or all of their data throughout the care continuum to where they think it needs to go. Now, the care continuum, of course, tertiary, you know, secondary, primary community, and then finally, you know, the patients out the far end. That goes from right to left. But if you think of each person having the suddenly the most valuable data set that exists about them anywhere, now they, if they have the agency, the ownership uh, of, of that particular data set, not the set sitting in a clinic, not the set sitting with LabCorp, but their own set that they've created to be the most valuable set available about them, they can now share some pieces of that data set as you said, they may wish to donate it to a research cause they believe in. They may wish to, uh, of course, share the whole lot with their primary care physician. They may wish to license parts of it to a pharmaceutical R&D because they fit the exact criteria for research study due to age, due to sex, due to being on this particular medication, due to being on this particular region, this particular lifestyle. And if we can provide for that individual, the agency to say, okay, this researcher has just sent me this offer because they can, they don't know who I am, but they can see that I have these criteria that fits exactly into their data set. And they're willing to pay me, let's say $100 to fill out a survey, and you know, take me 20, 30 minutes, because I happen to be in their exact uh, area of, of, of research. And if I can help them do their research more quickly and put some money in my pocket while I give them the data they need, everyone wins. And importantly, Nick, the healthcare system does not lose out of this. The healthcare system is still getting the data it needs. And in fact, now you've got an even more valuable data set you can take along to your clinician. And if it's interoperable and we begin to reconcile the data, as you mentioned before, then suddenly uh, the clinicians also have access to a much richer data set than what they have right now. So we're, we're enriching all the parties, I think, um, potentially matching at a level that 
you know, today is quite the challenge for research and pharma. They're not always finding the patients. Um, you know, there's missed opportunities. There are many, many patients who, uh, you know, wish they'd known potentially, I think. Um, is, is this a marketplace then is is that the sort of foundation of this and i don't mean that from a just a purely economic but a marketplace is as, as much about matching the the people that want with the people that have do you think that that's where the the strength comes you, you're precisely right and and we are set up as a marketplace you've nailed uh if you have a group of individuals who own that particular data set and becomes quickly the most valuable data set about them anywhere. We can get into technologically how we, how we help people do that. Uh, then you have something indeed that can help fix the broken research pipeline, as it were. Research is fundamentally broken, whether at the university level, whether at the, the pharma level, uh, even, even taking individual drugs for, uh, drugs, for example, where the very first you know, hypothesis, the product hypothesis uh, back in phase one, never really changes. And it's not until late in stage three, uh, phase three, after you know, hundreds or even billions of dollars have been spent that suddenly it's realized that, oh, we're after the wrong target market here. Or we're after the wrong cohort here. We need to start again, toss that up. How much more valuable it would be and how much better for society, let alone the individual pharma company would be to go straight to the source in a live way. And I realize here we're talking about you know, a significant disruption in terms of how pharma might be able to get the data they need because They've essentially outsourced their business model to pharma, uh, to, to clinical research organizations over the past 60 years or so for reasons of business efficiency. Uh, but there's tremendous amounts now of real world evidence, particularly post COVID, pharma and other research organizations now are, are in a digital foot race where they're needing to uh, be able to respond much more rapidly. Uh, compounds take 10 to 15 years to bring to market, a lot of money. Uh, if you can instead do several weeks or several months uh, electronic research through real world evidence of getting hold of verified structured data that's interoperable and use that to guide your decisions early on, you can be making pipelines more efficient, uh, your whole workflow can be more efficient. And if you're putting money, to go back to the marketplace, if you're doing that by putting money in the individual's hands who owns that most valuable data set we've just created for them, everyone's winning. Uh, and importantly, the healthcare system is not losing. Uh, they're actually gaining a more accurate data set themselves when the individual takes that new data set to their, 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 their PCP, for example. So this strikes me as uh, uh, a direct uh, sort of addressing of what, what a, I see as one of the core challenges in this space, which is that ownership issue. Who owns the data? And you know, I've seen huge arguments erupt over this, both in person and online, um, with, you know, depending on your lens, the perception of it's, it's my data, you know, and I, I see it from a patient perspective. I also see it from a clinician perspective. Do you think you've got the answer to that? I think we do. I think we've now, you've now hit the crux of the issue. And when I started uh, 19 years ago, um, I had a very naive view of, uh, of, of how this would work. And I probably would have fallen into the, the camp of, oh, well, uh, you know, we should own our data set. That's not possible for reasons of friction. You cannot say to the healthcare industry, you're going to have to ask people for their permission to access that data set. That simply won't work. 
But if you instead say, look, we're going to help people using these two technologies to be able to build the most valuable data set available about them anywhere, now that's an asset that has value that they can then, and by fiat, we declare in our terms and conditions and privacy policy with each member, you own the data link. As a member of the Sovereign Network, you own your data set and you decide which parts of it or, or if it gets used at all. We're simply a platform to enable researchers to be able to find you blinded until you accept and, and say, I want to be able to have my data used by you. Yes, I'll take that up, at which point you can then decide to identify yourself to them. Uh, and by building up that valuable data set, uh, you are then able to uh, be rewarded monetarily while not affecting at all the friction that would occur if you claim that you had ownership of other data out there. We, we don't believe that at all. And I believe the Sovereignty Network because we're helping you build the most valuable data set about you is a very, very viable way uh, for people to be able to create an economic incentive to build the value of their data set and share it as they see fit. So I, I, I think entirely reasonable sort of approach. I think you would, you would hear the pushback around uh, healthcare facilities, payers, all of these folks who feel like they, you know, that it's their data, they need it, but this is really an aggregation of this. Um, and, you know, potentially a way of navigating this successfully that creates this, uh, what I would describe as a newfound asset or asset class maybe. Um, what about the privacy? Are you able to sort of secure this in a way that allows people confidence in uh, a future that has somebody uh, holding or managing on their behalf? There are so many, I realize we don't have a lot of time. There are so many crucial points you brought there. One of the things we do at the Sovereignty Network is we combine the, the, um, the property rights that exist in a capitalist society uh, where possession is nine-tenths of the law, which, by the way, is what gives Facebook, et cetera, because they own the metal and the silicon of the service and they add the magic of software into that, the, the possession of nine-tenths of the law allows them to be able to then extract that data and make a lot of money from it. But we're simply saying we're tying together the privacy rights that were separated back in 1890. We can get back into that at some other point. Warren and Brandeis, when they wrote a very influential Harvard Law Review that said that people, simply by the innate virtue of being born as a human, have privacy rights. Uh, and then we've combined those two existing bodies of law that were separated 130 years ago privacy and, and, and property and brought them together through our terms and conditions under the individual's ownership so they can decide what's private. Uh, and we provide all of the, you know, the OWASP and the security and everything possible in the security layers that, that exist. So you can guard uh, your data set, share it as you see fit in a secure manner and own it as your personal asset, combining privacy and property together under your ownership because only you as an individual have the moral and legal ability to then say, I'm going to share it here, there or not. That's what the Sovereignty Network enables to happen. So I think a, a, an exciting time. There's potential for a full 360 degree view. That's uh, almost a catchphrase these days with assessments and all sorts. So everybody wants the 360, but a full 360 on data um, and information about me that I have the capacity to sort of then control, manage and run. Um, very exciting times. Um, 
I, I look forward to seeing where this is all going to go. Hamish, thanks for joining me today. Nick, thank you. It's all about you as the data owner. In our new data-driven world, data is no longer just a supporting act, but a central element to everything we do, not just in healthcare, but worldwide. What comes with this increased focus is value, a value that is no different from a physical property and requires we rethink the rights and management and ownership of these data. Not only can ownership of data by individuals be good for the individual, it can and will be good for everyone involved in healthcare. The marketplace of data becomes a newfound resource for everyone, allowing for bilateral sharing of knowledge and information that underpins the data market. Patients are equipped with tools and support to gather, manage and share their information quickly with their extended healthcare team and researchers, allowing everyone to make fully informed decisions about their health and wellness. Companies and healthcare facilities gain access to a high-quality, complete, trusted data on the patients they're working hard to deliver the best possible care to. And research companies can find individuals who are well-matched to their needs for research, helping create new solutions, many of which will be personalized to the patient of the future. Your better pill to swallow is to make data-sharing benefits available to everyone. Enabling and making personal patient data available is not just the law, it's also good for business. Your digitally enabled consumer is looking for the right partner on their journey through health, wellness and disease. Support interoperability and showcase its use, not only in the sharing, but in the accepting and using of that shared information. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag HC upside down. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.